starting a brand new series this morning. Uh, just testing you. We're a brand new series called Cross Church Goes Fishing. Hey, the first time I went fishing was with my sister-in-law. I, you know, I think I, I might have gone when I was younger than that, but it wasn't serious. I never ever caught anything, so I don't count it. But the first time, the first time that I, I went fishing and I really thought, man, this is what I call fishing. I was about 22 years old, and uh, it was an opportunity to hang out with my two little nephews. I wasn't even married yet. And uh, my sister-in-law said, here, I'll, I'll, I'll fix your, your rod up for you. And, I mean, it was a junky old, old rod that the kids had been playing with, and I'm sure they were fishing in their backyard uh, with no lake, if you get my drift. And uh, just cheap tackle. And, and you know, it was, it was just a day to spend with the kids, right? Just a day to spend with my sister-in-law. Just have a nice time together. So she puts the bait on that, on that uh, hook, on the lure, and, uh, you know, I was, I was not even good at casting, and I cast it out there, and I thought, well, I'm not going to catch anything, right? In 10 minutes, I had a nibble, and my sister-in-law says, pull it in, pull it in, so I started pulling it in, and lo and behold, I caught myself a nice fish. Don't ask me what it was, but it was edible. I do know that. Uh, this was in Lockport, and those are the days when I, people still could fish there. I don't know. Can you still fish in Lockport? Does anybody know? Yes, you still can. Yeah, I'm not going back. But anyway, uh, uh, I caught my first fish. And so everybody, you know, on, on the other side of us, they saw me catch my fish, and everybody clapped, you know, rod under their arm, they're clapping for me. I thought, hey, this is actually kind of fun. So I said to my sister, hurry up, get another, get some more bait on this hook. <laughs> I got fish to catch. Threw it out. Within 15 minutes, I caught another one. So everybody's like looking at me, trying to figure out what, they're just kind of checking, checking things out there. And within, within, within uh, another 10 minutes, I caught another one. So now everybody's kind of moving over to see what kind of a rod do you have there? What kind of, what kind of a rod is that? What, what, kind of, uh, what kind of bait are you using? What kind of, what kind of a lure is that? So I don't know. Ask her. Ask my sister. Cast out again, and I catch another one. Now suddenly people are starting to move a little closer to where I'm, I'm casting into the water, and people are like moving in a little closer. Turns out I, I, I mean, I, I have know nothing about fishing, but it turns out I, I seem to have caught, got a, a sweet spot in, in the river. And uh, lo- a very long story, just long, I caught about 21 fish that day. And my sister didn't catch anything, and her boys didn't catch anything. But I, I caught, I think, our limit for everybody in the family. Now, <laughs> I can tell you, uh, catching those fish, that was a rush. That moment when you get a little bit of a nibble, and then suddenly you're bringing in that fish, man, it is exciting. It's absolutely thrilling. But let me share with you something that's even more of a rush, more thrilling. And that's when you lead your first person to Jesus Christ. I will never forget my first experience as a youth pastor. I preached a sermon. I have no idea what I preached about. But there were some kids that had come out to our youth meeting uh, that were not Christians. And I actually said to if there's any kids here that want to give your life to Jesus then I want you just to just come forward and, and talk to me, and I'll, I'll pray with you. Well, there's three young girls that came forward, and I had the, the, the wonderful privilege of leading them to Jesus. And I was all calm, cool, and collected, like I was doing this every week. This is like, oh, this happens all the time. But as soon as they were gone, I was jumping up and down. 
I was so thrilled, so excited. The very thing that I'd signed up for, the very thing that I'd trained for, the very thing that I went to seminary for, I was starting now to see the fruit of my labor. I got on the phone. This is how old I am. It was before there were cell phones. I got on the phone, and I started calling my mom. I called my dad. I called my sister. I called everybody that had a phone. I called them to tell them the good news. I caught my first fish. Now, listen to, me. listen to me, folks. There's something that you need to understand about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is a faith that's all about winning people to Christ. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people have this notion or this idea that Christianity is all about going through a liturgy and doing, you know, doing the, this and the gesticulations and all the things that, you're, that you do if you go to a church. You know, and for some of us who have never been maybe to a Roman Catholic church or an Orthodox church or any other kind of church, maybe this has been your only experience. And you think going to church means I put money in the offering plate. It means I sing a few songs and maybe lift my hands if the pastor tells me to. Um, and maybe go to a men's event, a ladies' event, and that's a sum total of it. I'm going to tell you, uh, you're not getting the full picture. Christianity is all about introducing people to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we all understand that being a Christian means that we surrender our lives to Christ. We ask Jesus into our heart. It means we put our faith in Christ. We put our faith in the Christ who died on the cross for us. But after that, what's next? After we've given our hearts to Jesus, after we've asked Christ into our life, after we've come to the place where we recognize we need to follow Jesus, what's next? And that's what we're going to talk about all, all through the summer. I'm going to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus says. From now on, you will be, say it. Say it again. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. So cross church this summer, we're going fishing. In fact, we're going to be focusing in on this throughout the entire summer. And wouldn't it be wonderful if throughout the summer months you had the opportunity to share your faith with somebody and invite them to church? If they could come to know who Jesus is through you. I want to share something that's really quite shocking. There's a a great preacher in the last century, uh, actually the end of the century before that. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And here's what he says. He says, the Christian is either a missionary or a fake. A Christian, the Christian is either a missionary or a fake. What does he mean by this? Well, very simply this. First of all, when we think about missionary, we think of somebody who gets on a boat or gets on an airplane and goes across the seas to another culture and another society, and we share Jesus with them. Well, yes, that is definitely what a missionary is. But what a lot of us forget is that a missionary is actually somebody who shares their faith with their friends, with their family, with their neighbor, right here where they live. And this is what Spurgeon's saying. He's saying, if you are not sharing your faith with your family and your friends and the people that you know, then he says, you're probably not a Christian. In fact, you're probably a fake. You're probably an imposter. Those are very strong words, aren't they? In fact, some of you may be sitting here today thinking, oh, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, that's, I guess, why we need to do this series 
on cross-church goes fishing. This is why we need to tell you what Jesus said about being his follower. It's a little-known fact that it's always been God's plan to go into the world and bring his light to to those who live in darkness. I don't know if you knew that. This has always been his plan. In fact, we see his plan... Uh, as early as Genesis chapter 3, there's a passage there that talks about the work of Christ. Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. We call that the first evangelistic verse or the, fir- the proto-evangelion. Uh, um, but we get to Genesis chapter 12, the first few verses. And God says to, to Abraham, uh, Abraham, you are going to be a blessing to this whole world. Your offspring are going to be a blessing. And of course, we know that he's talking, first of all, about the coming of the Messiah. But even more than that, we recognize that God's people are in this world to bring light where there's darkness. And so understand that this has always been God's plan. In fact, there's a a book written by a professor. His name is Walter Kaiser. He's an Old Testament professor and he actually wrote a book called Missions in the Old Testament. Now, a lot of people, when they talk about world missions, about going and, and sharing the faith with, with people around the world, they think that this is a message that comes strictly out of the New Testament. But he actually makes a fantastic case to show us that from the beginning of time, it's always been God's plan that God's people bring light and hope to people who live in darkness. This, my friends is a message that's never changed. But what we see is we see Jesus coming along, and we see Jesus saying, okay, enough talk. Let's get busy. Let's get down to work. I'm going to show you how to do it. You say, Pastor Allen, can you give me any proof that the Old Testament's message is one that speaks of of evangelizing the world? And and, and the fact is, is, yes, I can. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says... Uh, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And by the way, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles were probably most of us sitting here today. The people who uh, are not Jewish are Gentiles. That's basically how it, how it divides up. So God says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This has always been God's plan right from the start. And we get a glimpse of it. We get a picture of this through, uh, through God's blessing upon Abraham. So let me just read to you then a passage of Scripture at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke chapter 5, and verses 1 to 11. And here's what it says. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. By the way, if you have ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you know that the slopes, the slopes uh, uh, around the Sea of Galilee are just, it's like a natural amphitheater. It's just a perfect place to preach. And so there's Jesus. Picture that for, for you, if you will. There's Jesus on the edge of the water, and the people are sitting up the edge of the hill, and they're listening to what he's got to say. So great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Now they pressed in so much, we get to verse 2 and it says, Jesus notices that there's two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
So here's, get the picture. There's some, there's all these people gathered around to hear Jesus and the fishermen are there. They've just been out on the, on the Sea of Galilee. They've been fishing and they haven't had any luck. There's, their nets are empty and they're, they're tired and they're frustrated and, and uh, it's like, oh, all these people around us. I wish these people would go home and, and what's Jesus doing here? Doesn't he know we got work to do and he's getting in our way? Oh, and then it says here in verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon Peter, the owner of the boat, to push it out into the water. And so it says he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So there's the fishermen. They're trying to clean up their nets. They're tired. They've been out uh, all night fishing. They're exhausted. They want to go home. Jesus is sitting in one of the boats without asking for permission. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, just get me set up there so I can speak to the crowds. And Peter's all right, but I got, I got work to do. I got, I got to clean my nets up. Well, it says in verse 4 that when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, also called Peter, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Simon Simon Peter's a fisherman. He's been out all night. He's been trying to catch fish. He, he didn't catch anything. And he knows there's no fish out there. And Master Simon Peter replied, Look, we've worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, these fishermen had never seen anything like this before. They were just out there with their nets, and they know that they know that they know there are no fish to catch. And Simon Peter just about missed a miracle. He just about said, no, you know what? I'm not doing this. I haven't got time for this. I got to go home. Don't bother me. But he listened. He said, okay, I'll do what you tell me to do. When Simon Peter realized, verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, they've been fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. Suddenly Jesus says, go back out and put your nets back in. When he realized what happened, the nets are full, they're tearing, the boats are almost sinking. When he realizes what's happened, he falls to his knees before Jesus and he says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Jesus, I know something miraculous, something divine has happened. I know there's a touch of divine on your life. I'm a s- sinful man. Get away from me, Jesus. I don't deserve to even be in your presence. And verse 9 says, For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. 
something I want to point out to you that you may or may not have ever seen before is that when we look at the life of Jesus and we look at his ministry and his teaching and all his miracles, we recognize that at the beginning of his ministry is a call to make disciples. It's a call to go and catch people and bring them into the kingdom of God. And then we come to the end of Jesus' ministry, to the end of his teaching. He's ready to ascend to the Father to go up to heaven. And Jesus basically is saying the same thing, only in different words. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, he's giving us the promise of the Holy Spirit so that watch, so that we could go and be his witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Some of you know it as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. At the beginning of his ministry, he says, go and catch fish. At the end of his ministry, he's saying the same thing. This, my friends, is why Charles Spurgeon says that the Christian is a missionary by virtue of the fact that he's following Jesus. And if you are not introducing people to Christ, if you're not drawing people, if you are not doing everything in your power to make sure people come to Jesus, then Spurgeon says there's something faulty with your Christianity. In fact, he would call you a fake. Wow, those are strong words. But Jesus is explicit. He wants us to be fishers of people. He wants us to engage with a lost and a broken humanity. He wants us to do everything we can to do the very work that he came to this earth to do. Some of you say, well, Pastor Alan, what exactly did Jesus come to do other than die on the cross? Actually, Jesus didn't say he came to die on the cross. What did he say? I came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, if you don't understand that about Jesus, that he came to this earth to seek and to save what was lost, then you will not understand his ministry. You won't understand his miracles. You won't understand his teaching. You need to look at the teachings and the, and the miracles of Christ through that filter that Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, this is the heartbeat of our master, of our Savior, Jesus Christ that it has to be the heartbeat of everybody who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for this summer, we're going to spend time studying this and hopefully not just studying it, but praying about it and asking God for the grace and the strength to go and share our faith with others. One of the things that happened in, in my family when, when we started following Christ, is it, was a, it was a major turnaround. And one of the very first things that started to happen is that we started bringing people to church. My dad was telling people at work about, about Jesus. My mom, she was a stay-at-home mom, and so she was helping us bring our friends and our neighbors. Everybody was going to church. In fact, we understood that this is what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Well, I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But you're saying, Pastor Allen, how, how can I be a fisher of men? How, how can I be an evangelist? How can I share my faith with other people? Because, Pastor Allen, I'm going to be honest with you. Quite frankly, it terrifies me. 
It really scares me. The idea of sharing my faith with other people and inviting people to church. Pastor Allen, don't you understand? I, I'm, I don't have a great education. Pastor Allen, I, I have never been to, to seminary. I, I, don't have a, I don't have a degree in theology or divinity. I, Pastor Allen, I don't know if I've got what it takes to do this. Uh, Pastor Allen, uh, can I give you some money and you do it? A lot of people think that. We'll, we'll get the professionals to do it, the ones who are getting a paycheck. It's, their, it's Pastor Allen's job to evangelize the lost. He's getting paid to do that. Folks, I've got to remind you of what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us very clearly that we have, each and every one of us, been commissioned to go and share our faith to introduce people to Jesus Christ and then to teach them to obey everything Jesus has taught them. So there I am in Bible school, my first year. I'm taking a course called Personal Evangelism. Now, I don't know if they still teach that course, but I can tell you this, that there's no university that's going to give you any credit for that. Hey, but it's Bible school. We're doing a work that this world can't understand. Our job is to introduce people to Christ. To lead them to Jesus. And so I can remember at the beginning of the year, a professor saying, everybody in this class is going to have to go knocking on doors. Well, you know, you may as well just said, I mean, we're, everybody in this class has got to be burnt at the stake. I think that would have been much easier. <laughs> just kill me now. <laughs> do I really have to do this? Yes. If you want to pass this course, you have to go door to door. Well, how many times do I have to do this? Three times. Find a partner. And they did some simple training, which, by the way, we're going to do through the course of the summer. We'll give you a bit of instruction to help you do this. And at the end of the service today, all of us is going knocking on doors. You're laughing. (laughs) There we are knocking on doors. And I said, God, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? God, I shouldn't be in Bible school. Maybe I should be a plumber like my dad. I don't know if I want this. I knock on the door, and it's a, it's a it's motorcycle. looks like a motorcycle gangster guy, you know, and huge and scary. And at that time, I was pretty small, skinny anyway. And I said, uh, hi, I'm here from my Bible school. What do you want? I'm here to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I said, come in. I, as soon as he said came in, I thought, oh, God, what is going to happen to me? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> came in and shared my faith with my partner. And uh, I said, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? He said, no, but that was actually pretty good, he said. Goodbye. So we left. So we went knocking on more doors, and then finally we came to somebody's house who was an immigrant from Italy. And uh, we said, we've come here to tell you about Jesus. I said, do you know Jesus? She says, yes, I know him. And, uh, but he's in the old country still. No, no, not, not, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, not really. Well, yes, I went to, went to Mass. Anyways, we find out, uh, she invites us into her house, and we find out that she's extremely lonely and that she's been praying. And, she, and this is what she prayed. She said, Lord, if you're real, 
send somebody to me. Send somebody to me to show me that you love me. And she said, you're the answer to my prayer in her very broken English. And I said, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? And she said, yes, I would. And right there, we prayed together. She asked Jesus into her life. And then the amazing thing is that we were able then to get her into the church on the west side of Saskatoon, and she was able to start attending church with her family. I was changed after that. Because I was always afraid. I didn't, I didn't want to impose on anybody. I didn't want to scare anybody. I didn't want anybody to think that I was shoving their, my religion down their throat. But it turns out, it turns out that people are hungry. And they want to know that there really is a God. It turns out that there's all kinds of people out there praying and saying, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And it turns out that God uses young, scared kids like me and my partner who say, God, I'm doing this because I have to, not because I want to. It turns out that God uses anybody who says, here, my Lord, use me. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to be that one that says, Lord, here am I, use me? You see, Pastor Ellen, I think I'm willing to say that because I have to say that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But still, the idea terrifies me. What on earth would I say? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because here's what we discover. Simon Peter, after realizing what has happened, after he sees this miracle, all these fish coming in, He understands he's in the presence of Almighty God. And it wasn't just Peter who saw the miracle. It was also James and John, who who you know uh, later become disciples of Jesus Christ. If I'm going to go tell people about Jesus, what am I going to tell them? Well, I can tell you what Peter, James, and John are going to tell people. You've got to come and see this guy. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. You won't believe the things that he can do. Do you know, we were fishing, we didn't catch a thing, but next thing you know, our nets are full, they're tearing, and our boats are almost sinking. And he did it! You've got to come and hear him. Look at this. Those James, Peter, James, and John, they never had a degree. They never went to Bible school. They didn't have any education, whatever. They were fishermen. They were simple fishermen. And for some reason, Jesus says, I'm going to call fishermen to be my guys. I know there's educated guys in Jerusalem. There's all kinds of Pharisees, and there's the, there's, there's the scholars, and there's the, the, the super teachers, there's the rabbis. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use these fishermen to get the job done. Why do you think that is? It's because at the end of the day, folks, what really matters is not how much you know, but how much you've experienced of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why it is so critical today That you and I not just be observers, but that you and I engage with God and allow God to work in us. What would have happened if if Peter had said to Jesus, look, I'm not going back out into the water. I'm sorry, you're, you're on your own. But he engaged with God and he said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And when he made that step and he said, Jesus, I'll do it. I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I want to go to bed now. But because you said it, I'm going to do it. Because Peter was obedient, he had the experience of his life. He came face to face with God. Billy Graham says something really interesting. 
And I have to tell you all of that before I told you what Billy Graham says so that you understand what I'm saying. Billy Graham says, it could be that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is the poverty of our own experience. You see, God, has, God wants us to experience him, to know him, to walk with him in a way that we begin to see his supernatural work in our lives. Hey, do you know the reason why we ask you to come every Sunday to worship God? It's so that you remember and you praise God and you give him thanks for his faithfulness and the good things that he's done in your life. For so many of us, man, every time we go into prayer, it's like we just bring out the guns and we start telling God all the ways that he's let us down and the the things that are wrong and things that got to be fixed and the things that aren't the way they should be and I wish they were different and how come I can't have a bigger car and how come my house is bigger? How come my kids don't have whiter teeth? And how come, why, why God, have I got the problems I've got? My jeans don't fit me anymore. And we're so petty and so, so temporal minded. But we come before God and we begin to worship him. We begin to recognize his faithfulness, his goodness. Folks, if you're sitting here in church today, this is a miracle. Think about where you would be right now if you had not surrendered your life to Christ. Where would your life be? What kind of a mess, what kind of a disaster would you be facing? The fact that you're sitting here today is a sign of God's great mercy and his grace if his miracle power at work in your life. I, I stand before you today. I see my wife is sitting here. My son is, in, is working in transit. My daughter uh, is usually in, in here working as well. My son Jesse's in, in Alberta. He's going to church. And I think to myself, God, I'm so blessed. My family loves you. My family's serving you. When's the last time you said, God, thank you for your miraculous power at work in my life? And at the end of the day, then you begin to say, aha, I know what I can tell people about Jesus. I can tell people what Jesus has done for me. This is why when Jesus says in Acts chapter 1-8, you will be my witnesses. What are they going to witness? What are they going to tell people? They're going to tell people what Jesus has done for them. Hey, when my family started serving God, it was a game changer. Suddenly, my dad wasn't spending his money on, on alcohol and on cigarettes and who knows what else. He started getting his life cleaned up. His life was sorted out. Next thing you know, he had his own business. Next thing you know, we've got prosperity in our house. Something that I, it was, just, I was always wearing hand-me-down clothes. And then suddenly, we had money. And my mother could buy me uh, uh, a leisure suit, a beige leisure suit. This is in the 1970s. And platform boots. And a shirt with big collars open down to here. I had no hair on my chest. But it finally came. Things are different, man. Not a nice puker chow, puker, puker chow, uh, what do you call it, uh, choker? No, it wasn't a neck, it was a choker for men. (laughs) 
our life was changed dramatically. So if anybody asks me, does following Jesus make a difference? Ask me first, because I can tell you a whole long list of reasons why following Jesus has made a difference. I'm, I'm looking out at you today, and I can tell you that every one of you has got a story to tell about what Jesus has done for you. So when it comes to doing evangelism, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to tell people what Jesus has done for you. Because that really is what people want to know about. They don't want to hear any sermons from you. They just want to know, if I give my life to Jesus, will it make a difference? Will it change things for me? And you could say, absolutely, if you give your heart to Jesus, it's a game changer. Your life will never be the same again. Someone say amen or something. That's what happened at our house. I can remember when I gave my heart to Jesus as a child. It just felt like the weight of the world lifted from my shoulders. I was free and forgiven. Does serving Jesus make a difference? Absolutely. And here's the thing. There's a whole world out there waiting for somebody like you to come along and just tell your story. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. Wow. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And then we get to the next verse. And as soon as they landed, as soon as the boats got back to the shore, and as soon as, as, soon as they emptied the boats of all the fish, it says as soon as they landed, what did they do? They left everything and followed Jesus. Did you get that? I want you to see this because it's really critical that you understand that when Jesus reveals himself to you, that's the moment to say, yes, Lord. Yes, you got me. I'm in. What do we see them doing? Well, it's it's just this instantaneous response. You know, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't respond instantly to to Jesus, that feeling may pass. You think, you know, God, I don't have time right at the moment to, to respond to you, but give me time. I got a few things. I got to check my schedule. I gotta, when I, I'll block off a time for you, God. How many know today that when it comes to serving God and responding to God, it's not in your, according to your timetable, time it's according to his? I just was thinking about the, uh, how one day I was driving down the street. This is in the wintertime, and there's a lady there, a flat tire, all alone. And I'm driving, and the Spirit of God said, stop and help her. But I said, God, I gotta, I'm going to be late if I don't keep going. As it is, I'm already late. And I started making excuses to God and telling him what I had to do. And I just said, the Spirit of God saying, stop now and help. I stopped my car, got out. I helped her change her tire. And then she said, who are you? I said, well, I'm, I, I'm a, I'm, my name's Alan. I just live on Elgin here, and I live right here in the neighborhood. And the pastor of the church here. And she said to me, you know, I wanted to go to church, but I didn't know where or how or what. So I said, well, come to our church. So she came to our church. It turns out her last name is Housen. Now, for some of you who uh, know me well, you know that I married a girl whose last name is Housen. And we believe that there is, a, there is a connection, a family relationship. But here's the thing that's even more important. That she and her daughter, wanting to go to church, didn't know where to go, didn't know how to even begin. 
But now because I stopped and established that relationship, she responded to God and started coming to church. She gave, they gave their hearts to Christ and since have moved away. But I thought to myself, what if I didn't respond as soon as the Spirit of God spoke? Well, that's what happened with these guys. They responded as soon as they got out of the boat. They said, Jesus, hear my, use me, do whatever you want in my life. I'm ready to go. And I want you to see something else here. There's something very radical. There's something instantaneous about their response, but there's something very radical. It says that they left everything. Now, these are poor fishermen. All they've got is their boats and their nets. And it says they just left it all. They left it all to go and follow Christ. What would happen, folks, if we got serious and got radical about doing the work of Jesus? Folks, I believe that we'd see a, a revival break out. And it says then that they followed Jesus. They made a commitment. They said, I'm following you, Lord. I don't care where you go. I'm going with you. How many of us are ready to, to respond like this instantaneously, with, with radically, and be committed, even as these disciples were committed? I want to read something to you from Duncan Campbell, born in 1898, died in 1972, best known for being a leader in the Lewis Awakening in the Hebrides in Scotland. There was a great revival there uh, in the mid-20th century. And here's what he says. He says, can we be casual in the work of God? Casual when the house is on fire and people are in danger of being burned? Can can I read that one more time? Can we be casual in the work of God? Hey, it's got to be as soon as God reveals his will. We leave everything and we follow Jesus. We can't be casual about this. We can't be casual when the house is on fire and people are in danger of being burned. Even as I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you too. And there's somebody that's come to your mind. Somebody that you need to invite to church. Somebody who's been waiting for you to share with them your story. What Jesus has done for you. Now the Spirit of God is showing that to you. And I would counsel you before this day is done. As soon as you get out of here. Leave everything. And do what Jesus is telling you to do. Invite them to church. Say, I was just in church this morning. And I just thought, you know, I was thinking of you, and I want you to come with me next Sunday. I'll pick you up. I'll buy you lunch. I'll take you to Tony Roma's. I'll buy you the most expensive thing on the menu. And then invite me. (laughs) Do it. Oh, that we would see a revival happen in our church this summer. That would be absolutely a dream come true, a prayer come true. Let me close with this. Billy Graham says one of the greatest priorities of the church today is to mobilize Christians to do the work of evangelism. What is evangelism? It's simply telling people about Jesus, what Jesus has done for you. You know, as I was preparing this, it occurred to me, and this is something that haunts me all the time, and that is that we are always just one generation away from extinction. There's a generation that's on fire for God serving the Lord 
But if the next generation doesn't catch the fire, if the next generation's not interested, if the next generation doesn't come and surrender to Christ, we're just one generation away from extinction. You say, Pastor, don't you think that's a bit dramatic? I wish it was just a dramatic statement. I was able to visit seven churches of the book of Revelation. Some of you are familiar with that, and you can check it out yourself later. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus has sent messages to the seven major churches of Asia. Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. I visited all those places where there were once vibrant churches. And as I was visiting these places, I uh, was absolutely shocked that there is no Christian witness, no Christian testimony there today. We're always just a generation away from extinction. Unless you and I get serious about doing what Jesus has called us to do, he's called us to go out there and be fishers of men, to bring people into the kingdom of God, to introduce them to his love, to give people hope, to bring light to people living in darkness. Amen? Let's stand together, shall we? Father, as we close our service today, we understand that you've called us to go forward in obedience. God, we want to see a move of your spirit. We want to see lives change. We want to see souls saved. We want to see, we want to see people brought into the kingdom. Jesus begins his ministry by telling us that we are going to be fishers of men, and then he ends, us by remind, he ends his ministry by reminding us that this is our job, to go and win the lost. Father, by your spirit, in your power, and in your strength, give us, God, the, the courage, and give us the willingness to respond to the opportunities that you bring before us. God, help us to be radical like these disciples who left everything. And help us, Lord, to make that commitment to follow after Christ. And Jesus, we know what your heartbeat is. It's for the lost. We know that that's why you came to this earth, to seek and to save what was lost. Give us, we pray, that heartbeat, that longing, that passion, that burden for the lost. And we pray, Lord, that even this summer we would see people saved because your people have taken seriously this call to win the lost, to go catch fish, to go and find people for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the